This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Wednesday, January 6, 2021, and my guest is the awesome Ross Rubin. Hi, Ross. How are you? I'm uh, I'm doing super well. I'm very excited to be here. Happy New Year. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. It's CES soon, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, but I mostly want to talk about the news, the first few news of the year. There's a few things happening that are kind of exciting, so let's let's chat about that. The first thing, of course, the big news of the week, I feel, is like we finally have a date for Samsung. January 14th mm-hmm. launch for the S21 line. Wow, what a roller coaster this leak business has been. What's your thoughts on, first of all, the announcement date, what you expect, all that stuff that's coming on the 14th? In general, what's your thought about where Samsung came from and where they're headed? So, you know, from what we've seen of the of the design, uh, I, I really kind of like this new, I'm not sure what the industrial design term is, but but this new little curved out uh, area for the camera, uh, I find it a lot more elegant than the bump uh, that uh, uh, you guys have uh, talked about before on the podcast and how widely imitated that was. Uh, but uh, you know, this is the flagship. This is their most important launch of the year. It's their most mainstream premium device. Uh, and uh, it, it really sets the pace, I think, in many ways for what we can expect from the premium segment for for the rest of the year. Of course, one wrinkle this year is the fate of the note uh, and and how that uh, how that will be resolved and what the S Pen capabilities will be here. But uh, but it's it, it seems to represent a, a new chapter for uh, for the S series. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to seeing what, you know, if if all these leaks and rumors have been confirmed. Obviously, I'm pretty sure that they have. Like, you know how it goes. This stuff is is pretty accurate these days, these leaks and rumors. So, yeah, I think, look, I think I'm excited in so far that I'm always happy to see some flagships from Samsung. Like, they they are good phones, and they're going to be bought in droves. So there's no doubt about Mm -hmm. that. But I think that things have changed a bit, right? Like, I feel like... I don't know if as many people are going to end up buying these S-series phones this year as normal. And I really hope that Samsung has a strategy, especially with the carriers in the U.S., to have more of the A-series on deck for those people who don't really feel like they need an S-series. Or, and this is what I'm really hoping for, is that the base S21, which is rumored to have less RAM than last year, is, you know, and possibly less storage. I'm not sure exactly, but that it basically starts at 750 or 800 like more like iPhone 12 pricing than iPhone 12 pro pricing and if we start there i think we can go somewhere i felt the S20 was just a little too expensive even on the at the very base level and i think that it's hard to sell the american market on an a series even though they're really great phones. So I think that maybe they just need to dilute the S-series a bit. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, like, the S20 Fan Edition last year is kind of that dilution I'm talking about. Why not, instead of making that a separate phone, kind of start at that base price, you know, sacrifice some things like a plastic back or whatever, have the industrial design still down pat, and then go from there. So in in years past, they would do that light 
sub brand. And yeah, there was the S10e, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and and I think the phone you're describing would would probably obviate that, but probably not with the marketing angle uh, that the fan edition came with. Yeah, it's interesting how much they marketed the fan edition in a way. I think it was a course correction, wouldn't you say? Because they they didn't do well with the S20, right? So yeah. It, you got you talked about it on a, a previous episode uh, about uh, how this is their attempt to try to capture some of that uh, one plus uh, lightning in a bottle uh, and say you know here's a group of Samsung enthusiasts that we're we're trying to cater to or perhaps even broaden our reach to a, a, a new class of uh, <clears throat> Samsung enthusiasts and of course Samsung resisted bringing the A series to the U.S. for for a long time. Uh, so I, I think you're right and that uh, they really do want to keep the U.S. market focused uh, on the S-series for, for a range of reasons. And, and of course, you know, you talk about the parity with Apple or the need to compete head-to-head with Apple. Even with the Mini, uh, Apple doesn't really have a, I guess, you know, maybe the SE, but they don't really have anything like the A-series or, or the J-series, you know, with these lower end value uh handsets smartphones so uh so they they kind of need to to meet apple at at their entry level yeah i think it'll be really interesting to see i think that you know they if, i'm trying to think like actually I, I just had to stop because i'm thinking about it like what is the equivalent of the iphone se in samsung land there's nothing in the s series I think the A series like the a51 a71 5g are probably there somewhere in that 350 to 500 because it's hard like there's very few phones that are exactly $400 350 is common mm. 500 is common um i suppose there's a couple of android phone i can think of like the moto 1 5g on AT&T that's 400 and we're going to talk about moto in a second but i i feel like yeah i feel like i'm not, i don't think samsung should worry about the SE like i think that they might want to worry about the mini though because nobody's making a small Android phone other than maybe the Xperia 5 Mark II that's any good right now in that form factor, in my opinion. Well, you, you could also argue that the Mini did a lot to uh, dampen enthusiasm for the SE, which, which had only come out a few months prior, right? Yeah, but it's still a lot more expensive. I think the SE addresses a very different market. I, I mean, I look at my spouse. They bought an SE 2020 because they wanted the home button. See, mm-hmm. like it, it wasn't even about, about cost at that point. I mean, cost was a gravy. They were getting an A13 Bionic, which was an incredible chipset and, and a phone with wireless charging, water resistance. You don't see wireless charging, water resistance on an Android phone at 400 bucks, never mind even 500 bucks half the time. So it's a very unique. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you and I'm sympathetic, uh, but uh, I still think that the home button is on extended borrowed time. Oh, for sure. No, no. I mean, that's not, yeah. but my point is for some people, that's still why they buy it. For others, mm-hmm. I think it's it's just the cheapest iPhone and they know they're not sacrificing much because they're getting a really good chip, wireless charging, wireless resistance, all the basics that they need. And a good, even if it's just one camera, it's like the Pixel 4a. You get one camera, but damn, it's a good camera, right? <laughs> It also goes, uh, you know, to the point about consumer perception, whether more cameras equals better imaging, which uh, I, I think we saw a, a lot of feeding of that myth. Uh, I guess you could call it a myth. Uh, maybe two, three years ago, uh, LG, I think, did a lot to uh, to, to push that uh, kind of marketing forward. And, and now, you know, of course, with these ultra-high-resolution uh, sensors, uh, not not necessarily 
uh, as, as true, but I think a, a harder case to make. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's going to be interesting. I just hope that DS line can start in the $700. Even $799 might look emotionally like the right price for an, an entry-level S21. And then it can go up. I don't care if it goes up to $1299. I think higher than that is hard to sell considering the Note 20 Ultra was such a great package for, I think, that price. That's kind of, I think, you know, the sweet spot in terms of premium. You know, add RAM and storage for higher prices beyond that. But if you can buy the best phone at around $1,200, $1,213, I think that's what I'm looking forward to. And I'm particularly excited about the S21 because the leaks are showing it to have what we saw on the P40 Pro Plus from Huawei, two telephotos, one three megapixel, one 10 megapixel. As an imaging-centric person with my phenomenal experience on the Note 20 Ultra and my phenomenal experience with the P40 Pro Plus, you know, this brings that level of imaging to the American, the North American, the US, the Canadian, the Western markets with GMS and all the stuff that we would be missing on a P40 Pro Plus. So. I'm on board for that. And I love the industrial design. I think it's finally nice to see Samsung. Like, I don't know what it was, but when I was in San Francisco last year for the S20 launch, I remember thinking to myself, okay, the Z Flip is cool, but what is with the boring design on these phones other than the colors, the pink and the blue, especially the S20 Ultra, the the top line one, like it was only available in basically black, it seemed like. And I was like, what are you smoking, Samsung? Like, made, at least make a white version, ceramic or something like Huawei does. Didn't they bring? Didn't they bring one fun color to the U.S. on um, the S twenty Ultra or the regular S twenties? Yeah, a, a blue, like it was like a deep blue. I think. Oh yeah, maybe you're right, but yeah. I don't know if that's the Ultra. I and mean, the bottom line is okay. that at the launch, at least, it was like these phones are really like they could be anything. Like they could be generic Qualcomm, you know, dev kit phone. Uh, from a distance, <laughs> you wouldn't know the difference. And and I feel that was a miss because then they found their footing again with the Note. And I always felt that the Note had a more, and I think part of it is the edgy squarish design, but I think that it has a much more unique footprint and it's kind of a visual appearance from a distance even, from the back, mm. from the front. Whereas the S series has always been kind of like, uh, but this year particularly, I felt like 2020 was particularly hard. And then this design was seeing these leaks that looks different, like the camera pod melting onto the side, like, and then the the that's kind cool. of like copper accents, like that's that's Samsung. That's mm-hmm. you creating an identity for yourself. That's important, Samsung. You know, so I'm excited about that. We're also expecting other things, earbuds, probably a new pair of uh, Galaxy buds of some kind. I have not really been following into great details because I haven't really been that excited with their buds products. Well, we we did see a lot of discounting on on their buds. Uh, Toward you know in the in the holiday season, but there's a lot of discounting in general uh, because I, I think we are just at least in the U.S. reaching a fair amount of saturation on buds. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, true wireless earbuds. Yeah, a lot of buds out there. Yeah, <laughs> but some of them are better than others, and that's the thing that I'm excited sure. about is that we're starting to see some decent buds, like high quality products at a good price point. Like we're seeing stuff at you know. Th- that doesn't suck. Like the TCL earbuds I I recently got from Brad and the OnePlus Buds that I reviewed, the OnePlus Buds Z as well that are cheaper than Mm -hmm. the OnePlus Buds. 
to me, like, it's kind of like, why would you even bother with the AirPods? Unless you're going for the AirPods Pro, which are a unique proposition. You know, it, it's interesting how True Wireless has found its footing in 2020, possibly because of pandemic. But I feel like anything over $100 for True Wireless earbuds, you're overpaying. Um, regardless of ANC? Regardless of it. Because I don't think ANC is a valid thing for earbuds. I think if you want ANC, go for headphones, do it right. You, you can get decent ANC on earbuds, but why? Like, why do you even, like, I, to me, earbuds are the things you wear when you're walking down the street to go to the shop, when you're exercising in the gym. Maybe I can see a point for having ANC in the gym because gyms can be loud, but the gyms are not happening right now. At least I hope they're not. Train. I mean, not, not so much commuting this year, but, you know, historically. Yeah, but I feel like, I guess you're right. It's, it's a choice and a comfort level thing. Some people don't like big sweaty headphones. Some people don't want <laughs> the thing stuck in their ears. So, yeah. But to me, like, if I'm going to be on a bus or a train or a plane, it's going to be headphones with mm -hmm. it, like proper ANC, completely immersive it's worth it. It's worth it. Because I have not, even with the AirPods Pro, I have not experienced a pair of ANC earbuds that still meets my standards. Uh, I haven't tried the new Bose ones, but I, I don't think that, I still don't think you can do it as well. Like, I think Apple is going to continue iterating. We're going to get a Pro 2 or whatever, you know, revised. And it's going to be better, but it's not going to be as good as the Pro Maxes or the Sony WH-1000XM4. You know, right. like, or M3s even. Because I don't think you necessarily have to pay up for the fourth right now if you want to get a good deal. Speaking of, by the way, I, I did receive Shure's Aonic or whatever they're called, the, their true wireless uh, headphones. And I want to just give them a quick love here because they're superb. I am impressed. Mm. The NC is not the best, but it's definitely good. It's not like Sony good. But in terms of sound quality, they are, for me, for my taste, which are very neutral and flat, they are they're definitely, you can tell these are made by musicians for musicians for the pro audio market, that there's that pro audio vibe in there. They sound like my Bayer Dynamics. They sound superb. And they're expensive. I'm not sure I'd recommend them. They don't fold up very well. They're not very travel friendly. But if you want something comfortable around the house with active noise canceling, the Shures have really, really impressed me. Like, kudos mm. to them. I mean, these are not a new product. They came out like almost, I think at CES possibly last year. They finally just sent me a device. So it's like, oh, thanks. It's a little late, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, what else do you expect we're going to see from Samsung? Like, I think they might surprise us with a f an updated flip though. Although there's been no rumors, maybe mm. they've managed to keep something close to their chests unless that's being launched separately in a few months. Yeah, I, I think timing would line up well for that, you know, particularly given uh, Moto updated uh, a few months ago, so. Yeah, I mean, they did yeah. update the Flip with the 5G version in the summer. It's the same physical phone, essentially, uh, with mm -hmm. a new processor, right? Um, but I don't know, I think the Flip is definitely due for an update. The cameras are okay for 2020, but they were still just okay in 2020, so now they need to be... S21 or at least S20 grade for 2021. And, you know, that's, I think, the biggest thing that I'd want to see updated on the Z Flip. The Z Flip is a phenomenal phone. I really enjoyed it. It's not something I would necessarily recommend to anyone because, you know, ultimately, once you unfold it, it's just the size of a regular phone. But if you, for some reason, really feel like when your phone is stowed away, it needs to be significantly smaller between Moto with the Razer 
especially the Razer 5G because it's the better of the two, and the Z Flip, whether you get the Z Flip or Z Flip 5G, I think the Samsung one is just a much better product, much more refined, Mm. much more sorted. It just feels like they, I don't know, it feels like they're one step ahead of everyone else on foldable, probably because they are, you know, like, I mean, it was tough with the original fold, right? But they, they had an extra year, right? So how, how do you see the proposition on those? Do you, do you think of it as, you know, you, you kind of described it as, do, do you think it's really about reaching that smaller size? Is there incremental benefit to that? Or do you think it's kind of more of a fashion statement? Or? I think it's a bit of both, but I think that there's a cool factor that's undeniable. Every time I show somebody that because I open it, you know, at my local coffee shop to pay with it or something, people are every mm. time, their eyes go what did I just see? What just <laughs> happened? And I think that's going to go away, you're going to say, with time. But I think that also maybe it is something that people want. And maybe Samsung surprises us and make makes a sub $1,000 phone with that feature. And then it becomes a more normal thing. And then it's just an option you have. And I think, look, some people don't have big pockets, don't want to take up a lot of real estate in their pocket. And if you can make it thin enough, I think the the Z Flip right now folded is not, it's thicker than a normal phone, but it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Even the Razer is not. So I think that if you can get that a little further down in thickness to the point where it's like 1.2, 1.3 centimeter, 13, 14 millimeters, it's only 50% thicker than a pretty big flagship today, which is typically eight to nine millimeters. I think that you can get to a point where you have a benefit in terms of, comfort and for some people that's undeniably important and then the other thing is can they make them more i'm not going to say rugged because i really don't feel that the z flip particularly is fragile and lots of people have abused them and shown that they're pretty pretty solid but more things like water resistance right like you can't Mm. really dunk that phone if there is a way they can with a combination of waterproofing both halves and making the display such that it's inert to water, like it doesn't, it has a nano repellent coating just for the part that's flexible, uh, so that both electronic halves are, are water resistant, and then the middle part is like somehow coated with some protection that you can at least drop it in the tub, like what what I maybe IP fifty seven instead of IP sixty eight, like to the point where like you don't have to worry about spilling a, a drink on it, and you can rinse it under the sink as long as you dry it really quickly. Samsung's A-OK with you, right? Like, if you can get to that point, I think we're done. Like, I think then it becomes a mainstream product. Yes, it's still always going to be more fragile. There's more moving parts, and you have a thin, Mm. thin display that, yes, if you poke through it hard enough, you're going to break it. Like, there's just nothing you can do about that. But then again, if you poke through a glass display hard enough, you're going to break it too. So, you know. Sure, but, uh, you know, they're also saying that future folds uh, should be compatible with S Pen. I mean, uh, or you know, certainly today the the folding ThinkPad you can use a stylus yeah. with that, and you can get pretty aggressive with it. Uh, you know, different different technologies, different display technologies. But I think it's going to happen. Yeah, there's no doubt they can yeah. make the the display more rugged. But I feel like that's not what's stopping right now this technology. I, I think it's more like things like what at that price people expect, like water resistance, right. etc. And then the challenge I found for me is also things like. The Razer does a better job with this where you can use it closed to some extent because it's got that bigger front display. And especially if you go to 
to do contactless payment, it's very intuitive because you know where the front and the back clearly are, but just mm. you know you can pull it out of your pocket, put your finger on a fingerprint sensor because it you can feel it. It's it's like a little dimple in the back, and you can just tap it on the terminal. You don't have to even look at your phone. You just pick it up, put your finger on the thing, tap it, you pay. Whereas with the Z Flip, you really have to go like, okay, is it upright? Like, is it the right? Like, because <laughs> it's the display is so small, it's really hard to tell where whether you, if you pull out of your pocket, you've got it upside down or down right side up. And then there's no like it doesn't let you unlock it when it's closed. Like the the side mounted fingerprint sensor does not unlock the phone unless the phone is open. So you can't really do like you have to fold it open to pay at a terminal. Mm. And also, I think the NFC chip is on the upper half, meaning the half with the display and the camera, whereas on the, the Razer it's on the lower half. So like that's another thing. Like you have to think on a normal phone, you don't think. You know that. If you roughly point the camera pod at the terminal, it will work. But mm-hmm. I found that with the folding phones, even when I had the Z Fold 2, the big the big folder, I was like, which which side, what, which, what, how do I pick, how does that work again? Like, you have to kind of <laughs> mentally think. And sometimes it, it misses, you know, the terminal says I didn't get the card. And then you readjust the phone. Well, that happens with all of them. Yeah. The moment you have to readjust the phone for contactless payment, it's it, you've lost, right? I, I totally agree, and yet it still seems more feels more natural for me than using a smartwatch. Yeah, for oh, for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But I think maybe they can solve this by having a an NFC coil on both sides, like that way you don't mm. have to worry about it. It picks one or the other. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering if that's something that they're working on. But look, at the reality is, yeah, S Pen or whatever is coming to the fold and the flip in some way or another for sure. Definitely the fold. I wouldn't be surprised the 2021 Fold, whatever, the Fold 3, Z Fold 3, Z Fold, whatever it's going to be called. What a weird name. What's, what's with the Z in there? Why? Because why? <laughs> it looks like something folding. Is the Flip brand. Yeah, I think yeah, S yeah. is the flagship. Note is the right. Note. Z is the folding because of the Z right. shape. of Because it looks like a Z. Yeah. God, weird. <laughs> a Z folds, yes. Anyway, let's talk OnePlus. The OnePlus Nord N10 5G and the OnePlus Nord N100 that were announced for Europe back in the, I don't want to say November-ish, finally are available officially in the U.S. with proper bands for the U.S. and for North America in general. And the pricing is extremely competitive. That's the thing that's got me excited, and I want to hear your thoughts on that. $299 for the N10 5G. It's really $300 because it's $299.99. And $180 for the N100. And I say that, I don't say $179 because, again, it's $99, but also T-Mobile literally says $180 on their website for that one. Mm. So T-Mobile is the only carrier in North America of all the carriers, including Canada, to get it, which is crazy to me. And it actually makes sense because the at least the 5G one, the N10 5G, only supports, at least currently, T-Mobile's 5G sub-6. It has the band for AT&T, but if you put an AT&T SIM in there, it doesn't give you the 5G option. Even a SIM that is valid provision for 5G, it doesn't work. Hmm. You can't get 5G on AT&T with that phone, even though it has the band listed, 850 megahertz, N5. And then Verizon, forget it. Like It gives you LT on Verizon, no matter what SIM card you put in there. Sure. So it's odd to me that they would launch this phone to the US market, but then it only really works properly with T-Mobile. And then, well, but then, then they're selling it in Canada. And I don't have the pricing in front of me for Canada, but the pricing for Canada is not good. 
It's significantly mm. more. It's more like the European pricing, which I thought was a miss back when it launched. So thoughts? Well, yeah. Um, so OnePlus has had a, a long, strong relationship with T-Mobile. For they sure. Really, T-Mobile was really the first um, carrier to uh, to support uh you know, OnePlus uh, uh, coming in. And uh, so from that perspective, it's not surprising that they would be collaborating on on this. Uh, well, it's funny, you know, it depends on how you look at it. Uh, some people look at the Nord as OnePlus sort of returning to its roots in, in delivering strong value at, at that lower price point. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting seeing them uh, trying to come up with a phone that has inherent compromises uh, with with the motto of never settle, but but we can talk more about that in terms of whether that's a competitive uh, kind of uh, rallying cry. Uh, but uh, but the three hundred dollar price point for five G, you know, that's really what the carrier's priorities are is uh, are pushing those five um, uh, G devices, and the more aggressive they can get. Uh, on that, the uh, I, I think the more um, the, the the more support they're inclined to give it, the the four G version is uh, a little bit more of a head scratcher for me at least because it seems to me that once you get down to that sub two hundred dollar uh, price point, uh, and you know maybe we'll see some of this showing up at, for example, Metro PCS uh, here in the U.S., uh, but. Um, I, I think a lot of those uh, buyers tend to be more traditionally brand-driven, uh, yeah. LG, Motorola, Nokia. I don't know if they necessarily know or or appreciate the OnePlus brand. Uh, so, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of uh, competitors in, in that space. Uh, so I'm, I'm just sort of less sure what, what the appeal there will be. Yeah, for me, it's basically I maintain what I've said all along since I reviewed the N10 5G for Europe back in November, which I feel like the original Nord that dropped in August was OnePlus at its best. It mm -hmm. basically, and, and in a way, it, they they cannibalized themselves in some ways with that phone. They made a OnePlus 8, essentially, that had a 765G chip in it and sold it for literally $300 less in its respective market in Europe. It never came to the U.S., um, which is, I think, the biggest disappointment I have about it. But, you know, agreeing with was what you just said about the T-Mobile history they have in the U.S., it didn't make sense for them to bring the original Nord to T-Mobile because they were still full of stock of the OnePlus mm. 8. And the OnePlus 8, you know, they were good to cannibalize those sales. And also they have the OnePlus 8V, the Verizon version, which had millimeter wave, which was a custom one-off that... Obviously, they would step on Verizon's toes if they came out with a Nord, even if T-Mobile sold a Nord for, say, 550 which I think would have been a very good and very very well-placed price in the U.S. But So they, they shot themselves a the foot because they make this great phone that kind of dethroned their lesser flagship, the OnePlus 8, in many ways, and at the same time that the carriers weren't going to touch with a 10-foot pole. And then they had to come around with a T version of the 8 and they really didn't know what to do with that because it was already so high, the eight, the price. They said, well, at least for North America, what they did was they said, well, let's pump the RAM to max, like 12 gigs and like 256 gigs or something. Like go spec crazy on what's easy to change, like RAM and stuff. And then we're going to sell for $50 more than the eight. 
of course, the 8 was on sale for $100 less at the time, but it was still a really weird strategy. It didn't seem to make much sense. Whereas in Europe, it was clear, like you had the 8T was replacing the 8. It was priced exactly the same. Of course, you were going to buy the better mm -hmm. one. And then it was a mild difference anyway. So whether you got the 8 or the 8T, the only thing really changed was the flat display on the 8T versus the curved edges. And I personally, I'd rather have the flat. So that was clear, but then the Nord was kind of like the cheaper option and it was true and true a OnePlus phone. And then you had the 8 Pro, which makes sense in both North America and Europe to be because it, it truly is the first time that OnePlus has given us a no bars flagship. But then when the N10 5G and N100 were announced, I was like, wait a minute, that's not where you play OnePlus. Like stay in your lane here. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm not against OnePlus going in that lane if they did it the OnePlus way. But the N10 5G is outclassed by even BBK's own Realme 7 5G, a phone that is better in every way, costs less in Europe because that's not available in the US. And, and right. I'm like, what happened here? You let your cousin or sibling or whatever you want to call like out right. one plus you like things <laughs> like not having the alert slider on there the the full plastic build and it's not just that it's plastic like obviously the fan edition from samsung the, the s20 fe is plastic back and it's not the best material but it still feels premium you know it's got that matte finish it looks cool whereas like and it's the same with the realme that realme phone that is better than the nord n10 5g has a much better fit and finish it's plastic too, but somehow they use the cheapest like Fisher Price grade plastic on this <laughs> N10 5G. And I don't know, I haven't played with the N100, but I'm like, you lost the plot basically. It's like, yes, you made mm. it an affordable 5G phone, but you sacrificed the hardware and it's not living up to OnePlus standards. And then the pricing wasn't that aggressive in Europe. But now that they're selling it for 300 US dollars, I'm like, okay, I'm willing to look past all that plastic madness, you know, Plastic fantastic and go with the fact that, yeah, you're making the cheapest US available 5G phone. And you're going to say, who cares about 5G, right? Yeah, you're right. But at the same time, 5G is going to become pretty quickly very relevant. And on T-Mobile, it's definitely a plus. You get better performance on T-Mobile. It's marginal, but you still get better performance. So at that point, it makes sense. The only thing that's still kind of iffy to me, while the price in the US balances out the, the crappy hardware, it's not crappy, it just feels crappy. Like, you know, it's a good phone overall. But the thing that does concern me more, and I haven't tried the N100, so it's probably worse on the N100, is that the 690 doesn't quite live up. Even with Oxygen OS, which is a phenomenal user experience, doesn't quite live up to what you expect from a OnePlus phone. You lost that kind of like telepathic, instantaneousness of the user experience that is such a trademark for OnePlus. The thing that makes you feel like your phone is just faster than your brain, you know? And and you don't get that, granted, you don't get that on some other phones either. Like, I think you have to pretty much buy a OnePlus and I can think of maybe a handful of really high-end flagships on Android, like the Note series that come to that level of reflex kind of speed. And you're going to say, well, 690, what do you expect, Miriam? But I'm like, that's the problem. It's like part of OnePlus's premise was this super smooth user experience. And they're trying right. here because of the 90 hertz display. And I have to say, it is very slick to use Oxygen OS even on that lower end hardware. But it's it lost that specialness. And then you combine that with the hardware not being special. And you're like, so you're pumping out generic phones, OnePlus, right? 
And the only thing differentiating so you So not living up to the brand promise. Yeah, and then differentiating yeah. you is the is oxygen. And then you don't want to provide the same level of refresh of uh, updates and upgrades. Like you you're shipping with Android 10 when your flagship have Android 11 and you're only promising one OS update. And it's like that's another thing that you dilute. So I think as I said, and you've heard this on the show, I think OnePlus has had some growing pains in figuring out where they want to be. I don't think they should necessarily avoid being in this N10, N100 price point, but I think they can do it better. Realme has shown it they can be done better, and I'm a little vexed that they are not. It seems that they're just complacent about it, especially after the Nord, the original, which was so incredibly great for the money. So I'm a little torn and the strategy here in the US, yes, kudos on the price, but if you really think about it, it only makes sense if you're a Timo customer. And at sure. that point, you can buy the Timo locked version and get probably an incredible deal through a subsidy. And then you don't have to even look at the unlocked version. And you're probably not the customer who cares about unlocked versus locked at that point. And you might have heard from your, you know, tech savvy early adopter friends that OnePlus is the thing. And now you walk into the Timo store and I can see all that. But I don't know, the N100, you know, the only thing that makes me feel good about the N100 is that at its price point, it just blows away everything else at that price. Like four gigs of RAM, okay, is unheard of at 180 bucks in the US. I just want to put that out there. In If you're listening from Europe or Asia right now, you're probably laughing hysterically at all the <laughs> Xiaomi's and, and the Oppo's and Vivo's and whatever that have four gigs of RAM at that price point. But here in the US, we've never seen that. Like Moto, and this is going to be a good segue for us, Moto just launched the new G series and you're lucky to get like three gigs of RAM on half these phones. Do you feel like the market in the US is there even room other than the prepaid market for these phones? Well, I was going to say, you know, I, I think T-Mobile, you know, carriers sometimes uh, almost, I don't want to say dictate, but but they, you know, work closely with uh, handset makers on a specific set of requirements, you know, that they need and, and see, you know, can can you fulfill this for us? And, you know, we talked a bit about the partnership it's it's a very different set of circumstances and a very different set of specifications, but in some ways, it reminds me a little bit of what T-Mobile did with CoolPad a few years ago, yeah, you know, yeah. coming out with that sub one hundred dollar uh, big screen phone. Um, and now, you know, five G is their is their priority. So uh, may, maybe, and you know, of course, nobody knew who CoolPad was uh, here here in the U.S. either. So uh, I, I'm wondering if it, if it's sort of a similar circumstance. You know, we need this. We need to hit this price point. You're a close partner of ours. Get this done for us, kind of. Yeah, and in that know. sense, it, it might make sense. I, I, I honestly do feel that I'd be very happy to walk into a T-Mobile store and see, you know, this N100 next to like a Stylo or whatever, LG, you know, mm -hmm. like some really cheap. And in the in the section of the T-Mobile store that says, you know, uh, Metro by T-Mobile, now it's no longer right. called Metro PCS. Like, oh, right, I'd right. be happy to see that. But at the same time, I'm like, this is not a OnePlus phone. Like you're, you're selling you. just a generic cheap, and OnePlus is going to insist and tell me no, but there's Oxygen OS on there. And yeah, Oxygen OS is a really great experience. But come on, like you've <laughs> diluted the hardware so much at this point. I, I, I don't know how that works. Like right. I want OnePlus to go back to doing, 
Like they need to bring something like the original Nord to the US this year. We badly, desperately need a phone that can compete with the Pixel 4a 5G, right? If you can give me that level of love and performance and amazement, please do it because that's where you play. That's what you're good at. And then, you know, do that on T-Mobile and still sell it unlocked, but also make sure it works on the other carriers as 5G. Like none of the OnePlus phones for the US in 2020 have had 5G support for anything but T-Mobile, right? Yeah. So anyway, Moto, what's your take? Have you looked at the phones real quick? I Does this matter? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I sometimes kind of wonder what, so they're, they're really filling out the G-Series and that, that's been a trend over the past maybe three generations, I would say, um, to the point where it has really pushed further down uh, to where the E has become this sort of weird, you know, one skew, you know, kind of device um, uh, at, at, you know, to your point, you know, kind of what, what is the least expensive device, you know, we can make that fulfills a, a bare minimum uh, requirement. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, from what I've uh, heard about the devices, it, um, it you know, it seems to uh, fulfill these, some of the promises uh, that, that we've come to expect with the series, for example, very long battery life or at least very big batteries uh, in, in terms of, uh, I think, um, you know, they're, they're promising two to three days on a charge. Uh, whether it lives up to that, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, but that's certainly one thing that stood out for me. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the thing that is exciting about these phones is that I think they're they're necessary. Like the, the G series, mm. I mean, Moto has, we get, we got to thank them for kind of being like the company who made these two, $300 phones, a thing that was important and not sucky. Like they're the first to make quality mid range. Yeah. Cheaper, yes. more affordable phones that didn't suck. And you know, OnePlus is trying to do that. And I think a lot of Chinese phones are trying to do that nowadays. And I think Moto invented that. This is before their mm -hmm. days at even Google, so never mind Lenovo. And they've managed to continue that, and I admire them for that. I think the G series has always been very solid. And in North America, for the longest time, this was the only place to go if you wanted a really good, affordable phone, right? That's changing now with OnePlus in the game. And in many ways, I feel TCL. that... TCL, yeah. Thanks for bringing them up, for sure. Yep. But I feel like there's four phones here. The G Play, which is the entry level, is kind of playing, pardon the pun, into that N100 range. And mm -hmm. if you compare, the prices are very similar, but then again, the specs are much, much better on mm. the N100. So maybe maybe OnePlus does have a leg to stand on here. You know, it's 169 it's 170 bucks for the Moto and 180 bucks for the OnePlus. But you know, the Moto is giving you a Snapdragon 460 versus, I think actually it is also a 400 series on the N100, but the N100 gives you 90 hertz, right? And it gives you an even bigger battery, 6,000 milliamp hours. So like it's got a bunch of things under its, you know, wing that I think make it a better phone. Then you've got the G Power, which the Power has always been the long battery life phone from Moto. But it's interesting, you know, you probably don't feel that way because you don't look too much at the Chinese market or the phones made by Chinese companies going to India and Europe. But mm -hmm. 6,000 milliamp hour is a pretty normal thing in this price point in China, mm -hmm. okay? So the G Power only having 5,000 milliamp hour, eh, it's good, but it's 
it's not really that special. Now, with combined with, you know, a Snapdragon 600 series, I think it's a 678 or 662 or something like that, it's going to provide pretty damn great battery life, maybe three days, like this is what they advertise. But it does have a 48 megapixel camera, so it does pixel binning. That's always a welcome thing. Uh, even though Moto is not the best at making cameras, you do notice the difference uh, when you when you in low light. A big screen, but it's only a 720p display. Again, you know, at the G Play price point, at the N100 price point, you only have 720p. But the G Power is 199 for 32 gigs with I think three gigs of RAM, and it's 250 for 64 gigs. Like now, you're starting to play in in the heart of Chinese phone territory and you can import these phones and they'll work just fine on LTE in the US. And then, you know, you're going to say this doesn't matter to people who walk into a, a metro or cricket store or a, you right. know, I get it. But I'm saying like, uh, I don't know, like that's not where the value is for me. And then the G Stylus at least has the uniqueness of the stylus, which comes back this year. And that's a 678 processor from Qualcomm, also 48 megapixel camera, quad camera system. And that one's 300. And again, at that point, you're like, forget it. Like, it doesn't matter even if you don't have 5G. The Nord N10 5G from OnePlus, get that. $300, same price, works on all the 4G LTE networks. It's a way better phone in every way. Other than, of course, you might want the stylus, but it's capacitive. So just buy like a little, or, or just go on eBay and buy Buy the stylus from the from the G stylus from last year as a spare part and carry that in your pocket or something. I don't know. It's not a USI because Lenovo's been a supporter of USI. As far as I know, it's just purely a capacitive nub at the end, a okay, very thin okay. capacitive nub at the end of the there is some software though. They have a notes app that, you know, is optimized for that. It detects when the pen is pulled out of the slot, like kind of okay. like Note does, you know, with a right, little magnet right. that but but like, honestly, no, no, just just Buy an N10 5G at that point, even if you don't use the 5G feature, buy the unlocked. And then there's the Ace, and this is where I think they lost the plot, right? This is the one, right? The one the 5G Ace is, first of all, it's not a G series. Like, right. why did they... And we asked them about that in the briefing, and they said, well, you know, we felt that it was spec-wise closer to what we'd expect from a one series phone. And it's interesting because they've on and off sold the one series phones in the US, but the Moto One family is really more of a European and, and other mm. markets play. And it hasn't really been that strong in the US. And so there's randomly they make a one phone, but I think they should consolidate on the G line in the US and really pump it out. This should have been a, a Moto G 5G. In fact, <laughs> the Moto One 5G Ace for the US is exactly the same phone as the Moto G 5G in Europe that was just launched. Ah, so okay. it's really weird to me, the naming. What's exciting about this phone is that it has a Snapdragon 750G. This is the first time we're seeing this in the US, number one. Number two, so far you can only get phones from Xiaomi with that chip. So we're going to talk about Xiaomi in a second, but you know, it's interesting to finally see that that the processor coming to the to the US market. And again, quad camera, 48 megapixel. No, it's a triple camera. Interesting. So it's going back to what the G Power provide. But it's four hundred dollars. Explain this to me for a second, Ross. You're an <laughs> analyst. You might be able to steer me the right way here. I don't get this. I reviewed the Moto One 5G, which is not the 5G A. So the Ace is kind of a lesser version of the Moto One 5G because it's got a lesser processor and less cameras on it. It costs $400, the Moto One 5G that I reviewed in the summer. 
or September. $400 on a contract on AT&T. Now, it's okay. 450 I think, or 500 with millimeter wave on Verizon, right? And you pay the millimeter wave tax. But nonetheless, why would you spend $400 of your money on this new Ace that's a lesser phone than you walk into an AT&T store and you buy? I mean, you have to be an AT&T customer, I guess. But like, I, do you feel the carriers still have that much say? Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me that Moto cannot sell these phones unlocked at the same time like OnePlus does. Well, for the, uh, for the millimeter wave, well, yeah. uh, that's just not going to have a lot of, as you know, a lot of application out no, there. No, absolutely. But I'm surprised they don't have a base. Like when they sold the one 5G, there was never an unlocked version. It's like a lot like LG mm. does. There's no unlocked version for the US for a lot of their phones. I'm sure that will come in time. Yet know. the Ace is clearly an unlocked phone. But why price it the same price when it's a lesser phone when you can probably get a discount on the other one? Or you can probably buy an AT&T model for $400 full price at the store and then get it unlocked and it'll still work for you. Like, I, it's just weird to me. I, I would just, you know, I, I think in the U.S. over the past few years, Unlocked has certainly grown and awareness has grown. Uh, but, you know, the carrier model is, is still very strong here and people, uh, you know, particularly on these monthly plans uh, when, they're, when they're ready for the next thing, you know, they see what's available in the portfolio um, and, and don't, don't do the kind of diligence you're you're talking about. <laughs> no, for yeah. sure. I mean, that's definitely a problem. I just feel like it's just weird to me that when I asked them about the pricing, I said, you're not being very competitive based on what OnePlus just literally announced yesterday. They're like, well, you can't say that. And I'm like, why not? And they're like, because we are going to be selling these through carriers at a discount mm -hmm. right away. And I'm like, mm. why don't you give me the discounted price then? Like, don't mess with me. Like, I don't need like because that's not their job. You know, they don't want they don't want to scoop their own. They don't want to step on their their carrier partner toes. I yeah. know, I know. What I'm also trying to say, and you know this, is that it's like the bargain's been phenomenon, right? Where <laughs> within weeks, if not days, of these phones actually being announced, we're gonna see them on sale, like on Amazon, officially by Motorola. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this weird strategy? You come out with this lofty, ridiculous price. We 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 scream about it, and then two three days later, you is this like a psychological thing where the you you think the customer really noticed that the price of this not really important the great scheme of things phone has gone down in the last three days? They don't they don't notice. So why not give me the price like the real like where I don't know. That's my point. It's like it's like on wish.com where you know everything is sold at a 97% discount uh from the you know a, a belt you know you can buy it at a discount <laughs> off the $3000 price. You know? Yeah, basically. So, yeah. Oh goodness, goodness, goodness. So anyway, um that's Moto for you folks. I have the phones, so stay tuned. I'll probably talk about them a little more once the review embargo lifts, which I think is later sometime next week. And uh, yeah, look, I like I like what Moto's doing. Like I think I like the One Series. I like the G Series. I just wish they were priced a little more competitively. And the other thing that I want to bring up, we talked about really quickly, is no NFC on the G Series here at all. It's crazy. The One Five G Ace does have NFC, but here's a weird thing, Ross. In the past, in other markets, like the same phones that we got G Series in the U.S. were sold in Europe and in and even in South America with NFC enabled. It mm. seems like it's in there, but it's disabled in the U.S., at least in the past. 
Last year, the, the stylus and the power we were in Moto in February, the last trip I took before COVID, they showed us last year's G stylus and G power. And again, they didn't have NFC. And I said, well, guys, like, come on. Why? And they're like, yeah, we, you know, at this price point, we don't think it's important. And then COVID hit. And then now I said, I said to them, like, look, guys, like now, now you should have NFC on there, right? Because COVID. And they're like, no, like, first of all, we feel like people don't go out and pay with their phones and their credit cards. They order stuff online, get delivered. Secondly, you know, we put it on the ACE because at that price point, we feel it's necessary, but we still don't, it still doesn't hit the top five list of things we think people need, like battery life, display size, cameras. And I'm like, fair enough, but I still feel like it's so cheap. If it was 10 bucks to add to the phone, I'd get it. It's probably 10 cents to add to the phone at this point. Weird to me. I, I, w- I would agree. I, I, I think it's just sort of crossed that chasm of expectations at this point. Um, you know, I, I can understand things maybe like wireless charging. I, I know you're a big fan, <laughs> uh, for example, but... Uh, but NFC, I mean, yes, totally agree with your points about the pandemic applications. Uh, but regardless, I, I just think it's it's entering the zeitgeist, so to speak. You know, and they're 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 take they're like, yeah, you know, we 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 live here, we're we're Americans, we get it, uh, mm. we see how it's proliferating, but they feel that it's still not. They feel that the average consumer still doesn't use NFC, contactless payment, pay by phone, Google Pay, Apple Pay enough to make it into these phones. And they also feel that it's going to be superseded by other technologies. They really, they mm. told me today they feel that paying by barcode, QR code like China is doing is going to become a thing in the US. And I'm like, there's no freaking way. That's going <laughs> to stay, that's going to stay a specialty thing at Starbucks, you know, where you get your points and you pay at the same time because they developed this app and this whole system years ago before right. NFC was prevalent and they are continuing to use it. And I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I don't see it turning around. The banks have spent so much time on this. They're not going to suddenly adopt a pay bar barcode system. I, I got to say, when, when you said that they thought it was going to be superseded by another technology. I thought the next words out of your mouth were going to be ultra wideband, not QR codes. Let's not go there. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's, you know, the thing that drives me nuts is that we're at a point now, like Bluetooth is 20 years old, right? Right. A bit more now. I think it was 98, 99 when it was finally released in a product. And we're finally just getting to use it properly and have devices that are really rock solid with Bluetooth in the last five years, I would say. Cars have it now, you know, true wireless earbuds are a thing, wireless headphones. They were a thing 10 years ago. They existed. They just sucked. Now they're finally good. So I can kind of understand that maybe they feel that the NFC experience sucks, but I feel like NFC has been with us for almost as long. Like I would say Nokia had NFC on their freaking Symbian phones. Like what was it like 2009, eight, something like that. I know all the Windows phones they made had at least NFC or an optional NFC in a case that you could like add on to the phone. Like why is NFC such a big obstacle for manufacturing like chinese manufacturers were not on board they're finally learning that the u.s market wants nfc remember how oneplus with the oneplus 2 actually removed nfc from that flagship phone and they got destroyed by the u.s media and they looked at us they were like in a panic they're like what have we done? And we're like, yeah, you did it. You messed that up real bad. And they're like, we had no idea. I'm like, do your freaking market research. 
you're catering to the tech-savvy early adopters and you don't have NFC on a phone that's supposedly a flagship killer? Go home. You're drunk. <laughs> why, why is it even... I don't un- even understand why it's such a, um, a price obstacle in, in handsets when they can somehow work the functionality into a credit card. I don't know I mean, either. it's not even I, just a phone thing anymore. I think, as I said, I don't think it's expensive to do. I think that yeah. somehow, maybe there's some certifications that are expensive or something. I don't know what it is. But eh, mm. OnePlus learned their lesson. They have not made a phone without NFC since then. <laughs> um, I have to check if the N100 has NFC or not. I don't think it does, but I'm willing to excuse that on $180. The Nord N10 5G certainly has NFC. It's great. So if you want a phone, again, $300. I mean... It's kind of walking all over uh, Moto's feet there. And and if you if you're going to pay for it wirelessly, you, there are certain Motorola phones you can't use to do that. Just just FYI. So, for sure. Because they don't because they don't have NFC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and sp- uh, speaking of affordable phones, really quickly, there's a whole bunch of Xiaomi announcements. It's interesting hmm. how Xiaomi like launched a flagship last week in China, and now they're like a volley of phones for India and Europe. Quickly go through them. I'm not going to get into the details. I'll link to various articles by my friends over at Android Police. Basically, the Redmi 9T, I have one, so it's the basically the same as the Poco M3, but with ultra-wide lens added. So it's kind of, it fixes the one deficiency of the, of the Poco M3. The Poco M3, Ross, is a $149 phone wow. that kicks ass, and uh, like a lot of Xiaomi products. And so the Redmi 9T is a little more than that and adds the ultra-wide back. No NFC on these, by the way. <laughs> but... <laughs> There is also a Redmi Note 9T, which is very similar to me looking to the other phone that Xiaomi launched this week, which is the Mi 10i 5G. And it's like Xiaomi is the master with their multiple brands, more so than BBK, at blending the parts bin. Like it is insane. You look at phones, sometimes they release a phone three days apart with different brands and you look at it and you're like, oh, you took the camera pod from this phone and the display from that Mm. phone and the battery from this phone and this processor, they were sitting on your shelf and you literally screwed them together because they had the same (laughs) mounting points and you're giving it a new name and you're selling it in this one niche market or this is only for Pakistan or this is only for like, it's insane, but I kind of love it. I just cannot tell you how... Delighted I am that they make these really great phones. Like they're affordable, they're nice to use, they have all the checkboxes for most part, and you can scale. Like you can literally take any price point with a $20 increment mm. and get a decent phone with Xiaomi. If you, especially if you buy them online, because sometimes they're market specific, but you know, Alibaba right. or Gearbest or even Amazon will have them for the US market. And usually LTE, because they're Qualcomm chips, they're big friends with Qualcomm, you know, at least the main bands are supported. So unless you live in the boonies in the US where you need that 600 megahertz LTE on Timo or whatever, you're good. You're good. Like, right. And this is kind of where it's hard, I think. My audience obviously is going to prioritize the higher end or at least the mid-range, um, you know, five hundred plus dollar phones because they're tech savvy early adopters that change phones often. But if you are that tech savvy early adopter and you're right now hurting for money because COVID or whatever, and you want to continue enjoying getting phones regularly and changing and trying new things, I say look at these phones. They're two, three hundred dollar phones, and they're just really, really interesting. I think so, you have a an idea for a subscription service brewing there. Yeah. Oh my god. 
Xiaomi phone of the month. That would be such a startup. <laughs> I mean, somebody needs to create like a company where, but instead of being like Samsung or Apple specific, which basically what they have, right? Right. You would do it to be a universal thing. That would be cool. Mm. Anyway, um, so the phones are the Redmi 9T, the Redmi Note 9T, the Xiaomi Mi 10i 5G, which honestly looks almost identical to the Xiaomi uh, Mi 9T 5G in terms of specs. And then there's uh, rumors of a Poco F2. There's a F2 Pro I reviewed for Android Police. The F1, the original Poco phone, was an incredible phone. It had a Snapdragon 800 series at the time, two or three years ago. I think it was an 845, I want to say, for $300. And it blew our minds because it was essentially a flagship for mm. incredible price. The F2 Pro was $500 and had a Snapdragon 865. It was $200 more because that 865 is such a fast, expensive chip. So there's rumors of a Poco F2 to kind of remedy that, to kind of find back that $300, $400 flagship kind of price. But I don't think they're going to do an 8 series on that. I think it's going to be a 7, 765 or something like that. Which, honestly, you're not losing too much. So just be aware of that. That's coming. Rumors are strong. Let's talk about a good new chip from Qualcomm, the Snapdragon 480 5G. We finally have a 400-level 5G chip. That's kind of crazy to me, honestly. I'm not sure it's worth it. At the kind of price point these phones are targeting, $150, $180, $220 with these chips, presumably, do we need 5G at that price point, Ross? What does your analysis say? Well, I, I, I think that it's very relevant to a number of the phones we've discussed on the podcast, right? Talking about things like the the OnePlus or the um, or the Motorola. You talked about a lot of the trade-offs there. Right. Uh, when the next year's edition, when the 21 editions of those phones come out, uh, they're more likely going to be 5G because that's one of the compromises you have to make right now uh, when you uh, enter into that price point and they don't want to uh, have to uh, have to compromise on that and uh, you know as as we discussed both uh, OnePlus and uh, Motorola have been strong Qualcomm customers uh, and so when you have so much of your product line devoted to that supplier um, you know, you want the supplier wants to be able to offer choices throughout the portfolio. So, so I think it's as much about that uh, as versus there's such huge demand for 5G in this sub two hundred dollars. Do you segment. think so though? Like I, I feel like there's absolutely no doubt. Like it makes sense for me that Qualcomm made a four hundred series chip with 5G because that's what Qualcomm does. They want right. 5G on everything. It makes sense. It makes sense that the carriers would push 5G even at lower price points, like and try to market it right. But mm-hmm. do the customers, do the consumers really care? Like I don't feel they care, and I don't feel they benefit yet. At least on Timo, you might see some benefits, but these are sub six phones. 480 is a sub six chip like the 690. I don't think people are going to really benefit on AT&T and Verizon yet. You know, there's the rest of the world too, right? There's Europe and and Asia. And in China, I think China is probably what's driving this because 5G Mm. in China is very high in the consumer mindset. But in North America, do do you even think people who are on a super tight budget, you know, on Cricket Wireless, walk into a Cricket store because they, they need a new phone and they're looking at $150, $200 phone. Do you think they care about 5G? I don't think they do. Uh, you know, to the discussion we were having earlier, it's probably not in their top three. Uh, and yet AT&T will promote how Cricket runs on their 5G network. So 
it, it's something they promote, and you know, I, I could totally see the store salesperson saying, "You don't want to be left out uh, of the future." So. Yeah, I guess. I guess if it doesn't cost the customer anything else extra, sure. that is just in there, and that's possibly where they're going to. It's like it's like it's like 4K on. Yeah. You know, fifty-five inch TV. But you know, right. here, here's the irony of this, right? Is that phone they're going to buy with that four eighty five G is going to have a seven twenty p display at six point six inches, and it's going to look like crap. <laughs> and that's why I don't understand. It's like the priorities are a little off there. I think the six hundred series with five G made sense to me because that is still like you can still buy a phone with a Snapdragon six hundred series with enough RAM and a nice enough 1080p display that it makes this phone a pleasant experience to use. It's a little toned down in, in terms of pace compared to like a 700 series or 800 series flagship or mid-ranger. But I have never used a 400 series Snapdragon phone ever from anyone with enough RAM and with enough performance to feel like I wasn't frustrated. That's kind of why I asked OnePlus to send me the N100 because I want to know, is this even possible? Do do you think um, how much of it do you think is just sort of competitive response to MediaTek, which of course has been gaining a lot of market share uh, over the past year? Well, there is also you're right. There's, that's actually a very very good point you're bringing up that MediaTek is really pushing prices down on their 5G chips as well. And as we know, as I said, China is definitely a market where you need 5G on everything, mm. and they also are a market where people buy a lot of cheap phones. So no, it makes sense. It's just I think I'm more looking at our perspective here, like. Will the Moto G Play we just talked about with this Snapdragon 400-something be a 5G phone next year in 2022 when it's announced around CES or February or whatever it is? I want to say yes, but I'm not 100% sure that even by 2022, the customer will benefit other than being able to say, I'm future-proof. Well, I, I, I think you know what, what you're getting to is that it's, it's a question of of when and not if, right? Because yeah. there was some point in the 4G transition where that was it. You know, everything that was coming out was 4G and, and you just sort of reached this scale and tipping point where there just are no new 3G phones. Um, so at least at least from major manufacturers. Yeah, I think, I think I'd be more excited here if I could see a clear improvement on AT&T and even more, even more of a gap with T-Mobile. And I think all that is coming yeah. right now. It's a lot of that'll, that'll come. Yeah, there's refarming going on in SA versus right. NSA and, and carrier aggregation and NR and carrier aggregation and and Verizon really needs to step up their game on their sub six because, like, look, millimeter wave is incredible. It's outside my window right now. If I step out the door, mm. it's, it's just beautiful. But it's only beautiful from outside. And, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that, speaking of affordable phones with 5G, it's amazing that TCL makes a $400 phone with millimeter wave 5G that doesn't mm -hmm. suck. Kudos to them. And that Verizon somehow was able to make this happen, you know, as a partnership with them, to, so that I can walk out the door with a $400 phone and get, like, literally gigabit speeds on my phone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's not where I think the people are spending $200, $150 need to be right so not yet maybe we need more sub six performance in i think with 4g as you said it was clear all of a sudden all the phones were 4g but you really notice the improvement like it was right. faster this is still not quite as clear to me like right at least here 
I don't know if that kicks in after we, you know, release 16 or uh, NR or carrier aggregation, but those are all things in the mix in terms of, okay, now you're really going to see the difference in sub six. Yeah. Last rumor, and I really am not sure what to think of it. Huawei is supposedly working on a successor to the Kirin 9000, which is their current flagship 5 nanometer chip on the Mate 40 series. It's a kick-ass chip. I've done some benchmarks on it. It's up there with the 865, possibly almost 888, although you know we haven't been able to do our own benchmarks on that. But this is supposed to be the follow-up, and it's the Kirin 9010, so 9010 instead of 9000. But of course they have to be working on a new chip. Maybe our regime will loosen things up and they'll be able to release a phone or, or chips or sell that chip to other companies or whatever. The thing that strikes me as off in this is the three nanometer claim. Like, right. You haven't heard anyone else talk about three nanometer. We're barely managing to do five nanometer right now. Right. So right. when Apple released the M1, they described five nanometer as, you know, pushing up against the laws of physics, right? Yep. So even though it's been around for a while at this point. So we'll see. I mean, look, what's Huawei going to be able to do this year in mobile, right? Because uh, we're changing governments. Like, I think that they should relax the consumer side of Huawei, you know, restrictions. Like, I think sure. that the, the GMS restriction and maybe this chip manufacturing restriction that they have should be lifted because innovation is important and it drives the entire industry. And even though Qualcomm and Huawei are competing in 5G and other areas, I feel that that's why the, the healthy competition is what keeps them both doing great things. So I'm hoping that can be relaxed. I think they're going to be, it's going to be a difficult year no matter what, because they had to sell Honor, which was a big money maker for them and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I am positive that some folks in our government will wake up and realize that, yeah, it's fair potentially. I'm not necessarily 100% on board to say that network infrastructure is a national security thing and we might not want to put Huawei base stations in our towers. But at the same time, why can't I buy a freaking Huawei phone with Google mobile services, you know? Uh, I, I think it's an excellent question and it's an excellent question why it applies to Huawei handsets and not other handsets from companies based in China that would presumably be uh, subject to the same laws that raise concern about Huawei. Uh, I mean, so. you know, like I kept joking last year about this. What happens when one day Trump wakes up and realizes OnePlus is a Chinese company? You know, because <laughs> he probably doesn't understand that because OnePlus sounds so English, right? Or Motorola. Or Motorola, yeah, Lenovo. No, I mean, of course, this doesn't matter now, but... Uh, yeah, I think that the politicians really need to freaking learn <laughs> how this stuff works a little more. And, and of course, I did not expect that from our current regime, but I do have some higher expectations from our upcoming government. I, I'm inclined to think the new administration will look at things more rationally, and yet there's still a lot of pressure to not be seen as capitulating to China. So, Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think they can very quietly relax these things, and most of the common people won't even notice. You know what I'm saying? Because most people don't buy Huawei phones anyway. <laughs> I think we have to wrap up. CS is next week. I'll have a, I'm planning hopefully a cool special show with some interesting guests. Uh, I'm not too excited about CS. I don't know about you, Ross, but. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of web pages. <sighs> we're virtual events, man. Like. <sighs> 
I don't know. Look, it's important that we cover it, and I will cover it next week with my guests uh, after the fact. We also cover the Samsung S-Series launch, that next show. But I'm just not wrapping my head around this CS thing right now. I just can't get excited about it. It's not working for me. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Ross, you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, your various social media handles and websites people should visit? Uh, Sure. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin, R-O-S-S-R-U-B-I-N. I also co-host a podcast with uh, Sean Dubravac called Techspansive. Uh, which you can find at techspansive.com or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And um, look forward to connecting with folks. Yes, folks, you should check out Ross's stuff. It's awesome. So you know where to find me, folks. I'm at Tanker on Twitter. That's at T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book Tanker without the vowels. It's my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle. Twitter is a really good place to go if you want to just comment on the show and discuss the podcast, since there's really no way to do that in podcast apps these days. Mm. If you want to look at pretty pictures taken with various phones I'm reviewing or pictures of the actual phones, go to Instagram and check that out. There is also a couple of YouTube channels for the show. YouTube.com slash Mobile Tech Podcast is the main channel. It's where you'll find unboxings and sometimes reviews of the phones, mostly unboxings because I want to give you visual references as to the products I'm discussing on the show. And and then there is another channel, YouTube.com slash Mobile Tech More. You should subscribe to that. It's a new channel. We're lining up some content for it right now. It's going to be more around things like smart home, you know, devices that talk to your phone and are relevant to the mobile ecosystem, but are not necessarily mobile devices. Some weird quirky accessories and things that, you know, I get pitched all the time that are kind of fun. So please subscribe to both YouTube channels, especially the new one. Appreciate that. Finally, the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. If you want to subscribe, you can find links there for all the major podcast apps. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, to name some of the more significant platforms. And uh, so please subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff. And uh, another thing I wanted to bring up, if you're on a podcast app and the podcast app lets you rate or review the show, consider doing that. It's really great for discovery. People who are listening to similar podcasts and get recommended others through reviews and, and ratings, so it helps a lot. I want to point out that there's a donate link in the show notes, so please click through there and help the podcast. Help us grow, help us survive. It's just a PayPal link. It's pretty straightforward, so please consider that. And finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible has been with us since pretty much the beginning of the show, and they're a phenomenal platform. We have a special deal for you, a 30-day free trial. You get to keep a book at the end. If you're not already a customer, consider clicking through and helping us by helping Audible or the other way around. They're a great platform. If you like books as much as I do, you like to read, but maybe your eyes are tired or you're a delivery driver driving around all day and you want to listen to some stuff, check out Audible. They're the audiobook platform of choice. Great selection of books. Lots of them are read by the authors, which I really like. You get like some really epic stories there too. Like podcasts are short, right? An hour, half an hour, two hours. This is like 10 hour stuff, right? Like it really feels like you're taking a book in your hands and you're listening and then you put it down for a bit and then you go back to it the next day and you get more of the story. It's very episodic. I like that a lot. It feels like a real book to me. So check out Audible. They have a special deal for us. Audibletrial.com slash mobile tech is the URL. That's 
audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. Please consider clicking through, helping us, helping them, helping everyone. We appreciate it. And thanks to Audible for being with us since the early days. And Ross, thanks for being with us on the show this week. Oh, it was wonderful. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. We will have another show next week, folks, so stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.